So may I say again that I propose that the the mind of the great sage of India the Buddha mind is justice. So I'm proposing that justice is is a mind, is a is a great wisdom. And if you want to know what Buddha's the what the Indian Buddha mind is, it's justice. That's that's what I came to tell you. The Buddha mind is justice. Now, also I came to say that this Buddha mind is an intimate, fully responsible relationship. What did I say? The Buddha mind is a relationship. Did I say that? And by the way, um, I was pleased in the early days of the current Roman Catholic Pope. He said, truth is a relationship. I thought, good. Truth is a relationship. Truth isn't something that I've got over here (coughs) separate from you. It isn't something you've got over there separate from me. You may have a truth, fine. I may have a truth, fine. But the real truth, the truth that is justice, is not on either side. It's our relationship. That's the truth. The center of the universe is not over here. And it's not over there. And it's not someplace else. It's our relationship. The truth is omnicentric. The truth is centered everywhere. And everything, every human, for example, is the center of the universe. And that center, which is you, is in a conversation, an intimate conversation with the rest of the universe. And that intimate conversation is the mind of the Buddha. And the Buddha realizes this conversation and practices it. Just a moment ago, there was this interaction between me and a teacup. I'm saying that in reality, that's a conversation that keep teeth the teacup calls to me, but also I called to the teacup. I said, hey, teacup, thanks for coming. Can I pick you up now? 
and I started to reach over to it, and it allowed me to have this conversation. This is one of the most traditional Zen conversations between a Zen practitioner and a teacup. There's so many records of these conversations between Zen practitioners and teacups, and then drinking the tea. You are now witnessing a current manifestation of reality, which is the conversation between my mouth and this teacup, and my hands in this teacup. This is a conversation in reality. And I'm saying, even if you do not see this is a conversation, I'm saying, it really is. And I have confidence that you can open your mind, your wisdom eye, and realize, see the conversation between me, my whole body, my hands, my arms, my mouth, my eyes, and this teacup. The conversation this teacup is, is speaking to me. And I'm listening to it. And I'm speaking hello to the teacup. And it's listening to me. That's reality. That's the mind of Buddha. I'm calling to the teacup. It's listening to me. It's calling to me. It's speaking to me. It's, and I'm listening to it and speaking to it. I'm calling to you. You're listening to me. You're calling to me. I'm listening to you. And everything, all this is happening simultaneously. You're calling and listening. I'm calling and listening. Teacups are calling and listening. Trees are calling and listening. Walls are calling and listening. And of course, it's so important that we realize all humans are calling to us and listening to us, and we're calling to them. This is the teaching of suchness, is that we're calling to each other, we're inviting each other, we're welcoming each other. I'm welcoming all of you to make me, and you do. I'm calling to you to give me life, and you do. And you're calling, each of you is calling to us to give you life, and we do. That's the conversation, and that conversation is Buddha mind. And it's going on right now, and now, and now. And right now, I'm in my consciousness, or I should say, in consciousness, where I am, I'm telling you a story about this conversation. And this conversation is not, this conversation completely pervades this consciousness. And the way it pervades the consciousness is not the way it appears in consciousness. It appears in consciousness like 
your faces or my story about our meeting. That's the way it appears. But it pervades as a light which is invisible. And it appears as instructions about how to realize this light. The light comes the light of this conversation comes into our limited, constricted consciousness where we are. For in my case, in my consciousness is where I am. And you are appearing in my consciousness, but the way you're appearing, I have been I've received instructions and warnings that the way you appear in my consciousness is not the way you are. But all of you and all of your consciousnesses are pervading my consciousness. But the way that is, is not an appearance. But there is an appearance of that. So there is an appearance of how you are pervading my consciousness. And again, the appearance is not how you are pervading my consciousness. And of course, some people, in their consciousness, there is an appearance of how others are not pervading their consciousness. Like somebody saying, that person is not pervading my consciousness. <laughs> no way. They're not going to pervade my consciousness. <laughs> that's like an art, that's like, and that's a conversation between the person who thinks that way, Thinks what way? Some humans think that person's consciousness is not pervading my consciousness. Have you met any humans like that? Most humans sometimes forget that everybody's consciousness is pervading their own. But some actually are actively opposing that teaching. And part of the reason they oppose that teaching is because they do not see an appearance of other consciousnesses in their consciousness. But even if I don't see the appearance of your consciousness in my consciousness, I still have a teaching which says you are pervading, but the way you actually are is invisible. And I may or may not make that <coughs> invisible pervading of the whole universe into an appearance. I may or may not. I mean, the consciousness may or may not. But it can. I say, oh, I think I just saw how that person's consciousness is pervading mine. And, okay, and there's another teaching which says, the way it appears to be pervading is not the way it is pervading. But I can look at that and say, okay, now how is it pervading? And, oh, and, and uh, I got that question. And the answer to that question will come by me being kind to the way it is pervading, apparently, and the way it is apparently not pervading. If I'm kind to the way things are appearing in my consciousness, I will open to the way they are appearing. If I'm kind to the way they appear to be pervading, I will open to the way they actually are. In other words, I'll open to the actual conversation. If I 
and practice compassion towards the apparent conversation. And if there is apparently not a conversation, if I'm compassionate to no conversation, then I get ready to open to the conversation of reality, which is already going on. It's already going on. You don't have to, you do not make it. I mean, you contribute to it, but the whole universe does it with you. And I cannot see how the whole universe is making me able to talk to you now. The way you all make it possible for this appearance of me raising this cup, I can only see a little coherent, clear version of it. But of course, there's there's infinite ways that you're making it possible for me to hold this teacup. And it's not just you. It's all the kids across the street in that school and all the bus drivers in New York and Boston and San Francisco. They're all contributing to this appearance of a hand in conversation with a cup. And this hand is in conversation with the whole universe, and this cup is in conversation with the whole universe. And justice is not centered only here, although justice is centered here. Justice is centered in all of you simultaneously. And the way it's centered in you and me, and all those centers are in conversation, that is, that is justice. Justice is centered on each of us. And it is the conversation between all the centers. And so, of course, compassion would encourage us to be very respectful of this center, the one where you are. And it would encourage you to be respectful of other centers of the universe of justice, of the just universe. Everybody is a center of Buddha mind. But Buddha mind isn't just that everybody's the center of it. It's also everybody's in conversation with all the other centers. That's the fullness of the Buddha mind. So once again, I'm proposing that each of us is the center of the universe and the center of the enterprise of justice in the universe. But that's not the whole story. The rest of the story is. And the realization of that justice is the conversation between all of us. And not just humans, but everything in the universe is a center and in conversation. And in, in, in traditional Buddhist practice, solitude is encouraged. Like, go to a zendo and sit quietly with other people who are sitting quietly and still. Or go out in the forest, away from all voices, and sit quietly. And in that stillness and quiet, you will realize the conversation. 
but some people cannot hear the conversation unless they're in a quiet place. And some people means, some people means just about everybody. Some people cannot realize stillness, the stillness of the conversation. The conversation is not moving. It's happening in stillness. So we have this you know, almost paradoxical situation of creating a, a, a place, a sanctuary, creating sanctuaries where we can be still and silent so we can hear and witness and realize this fully interactive, fully responsible, mutually responding conversation, which is already going on. If we're moving around too much, uh, it may be hard for us to get the hang of the conversation. During some of the sittings yesterday, I almost said, when we were sitting together in silence and stillness, I almost said, is this an intimate conversation? But I didn't say it out loud. I just thought it. But you can, what do you call it, rewind back to yesterday and see if, when you were sitting, if it was an intimate conversation. (laughs) Or you can come back to now. Is this an intimate conversation? Is this an intimate conversation? In other words, is this Buddha mind? In other words, is this Sazen? Or is it Kinhin? Is this Buddha? Uh, some of the ancestors have already said, have answered that question, and the answer that they gave is boop, 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 boop. Boop, 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 boop. Which means yes, yes, yes. What's that? What's the question? Huh? Is this intimate communication? Is this the Buddha mind? The ancestors say, yes, you have it now. You, and then they said again, you have it now. In Zen monasteries in Asia and in also in the West now, on a regular basis, the practitioners say, "Now they say it out loud, now you have it. Or, or now I have it. Take care of it well. What is it that you have? You have an intimate transmission. Take care of it. How do you take care of it? Well, remember that you have it. Remember that you have an intimate conversation. 
you have the Buddha mind. It's been given to you. It's been given to you by reality. And you have a chance to welcome it. To remember to be to remember to welcome it, to remember that it's reality. So, I think what I said is, uh, you know, very clear and very hard to believe and understand. So this is the teaching which is very clear, but it's also very hard to understand and believe. It's, it's so, it, to me, you know, it's just so amazing that we have the Buddha mind. It's been given to us, and we have the opportunity to take care of it. And, yeah, and the way you take care of it, the way you maintain it, is by taking care of your conversation with everything. Not just with the Buddhas, which you should have... Don't exclude them, but with the humans, ordinary humans, and also with turkeys. And you know, and so on. Can you see? Conversations with everything. Because you are, in fact, your conversation with everything other than you. That's what I am, is I'm how I am my conversation. I am the way everything's pervading me. And I also am the way I'm pervading everything. I'm the way everything's talking to me, and I'm the way I'm talking to everything. That's what I am. This is the teaching of suchness. I say. And I welcome anybody who disagrees with me. And I need somebody, I don't necessarily need people to disagree with me, but I do need somebody to call me into question. And you can call me into question by agreeing with me. You can say, I totally agree with you, and I can feel like, whoa, I feel, I feel called into question. <laughs> that was too easy. Wait a second, this is this kind of a joke? Everybody here agrees <laughs> with me? You must be tricking me. <laughs> and if you all disagree with me, I also think, this must be a joke. No, I couldn't have a whole room full of people that disagree with me. <laughs> yes, I, yes, John. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to come back to what you were just saying about the conversation and how you began the conversation with us yesterday. The question that arose around justice is Zazen. And you're generously pointing out that meditation is sessions itself. And I called you into question. Uh, I called you into question by saying, uh, what next? And the question wasn't very skillfully uh, phrased, but nonetheless you welcomed it into the conversation and allowed me to welcome it and we're sitting, so it's, uh, I wanted to say thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, as part of the conversation in this moment, yes. uh, the question has to come back again to the language. Yes. And to justice. 
language. And what you sometimes speak of as the imputational character, which I just understand is language itself. But how do you think no. that? It's not language itself. It's, <laughs> it's what makes language possible. The imputational character of phenomena is what makes it possible to make conventional designations. But it's not the conventional designations. But you have to have the, you have to impute some substance onto things in order to, the substance, it's like a Velcro that you can put the, the uh, conventional designation on. And the the language is where we have the conversation that will make us realize that actually, even in the even in the imputational character, there's a conversation with other characters, like. And then the problem arises. <clears throat> yeah, and. Yeah, so just, just say a little bit more there. Okay. The imputational character is imputed. It's imputational, so it's imputed. And what's it imputed to? It's imputed to this creative process. It's imputed to how you make me and I make you. That process, there's no, there's no like way to put a word on that process. But if you impute something to the process, then you can put a word on it like creative process. So, go ahead. So, um, once you said the Bodhisattvas need to learn how to do this, in order to <coughs> they need to know how to. They need to learn how to do what? They need to learn how to enter that conversation while understanding at the same time that the language itself. Is Mm-hmm. and use that language to realize the conversation <coughs> which liberates us from the language and realizes justice. And you said that's the price of language, and James Baldwin called it the price of the ticket. Yeah, yeah. So what I was really trying to ask you, or she yesterday, what I was really trying to ask you is not what's meant, but how we in striving to practice Bodhisattva Samadhi and the moral crisis of our time can more skillfully do that conversation. Okay. And, and, and in particular, you're doing it right now. You are struggling with what you just said. What you said is, your way, is the way you're struggling with what you said. And, and, now, and, now, and I, now I'm doing it with you. And I was doing it with you while you were talking, and now you're doing it with me while I'm talking. This is our struggle for justice right now. And the rest of our life will be our struggle to realize justice. And we need to do it with language. Not, I would say, kind of like not, my language is not to do it from the point of view of what I think justice is. 
but to do it. And I do think justice is something, maybe. Or maybe I'm one of the few people who doesn't know anything about it. But I'm not, because I do know something about it. And what I know about it is it's a conversation. But then you can call me into question. I don't think justice is a conversation. You can say, I think justice is this, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. And then I could say, can I ask you a question? You say, okay. And we go on. So your conversation with me and everybody else, I think, is the true path. Using language is the true path to realize justice, which is to realize the way every word I say is given to me by you and everybody else, and how every word I say is given to you and everybody else. That com- and then conversations in that way, I'm saying that's how I wish to realize justice. And people who disagree with me are welcome. And people who agree with me but question me are welcome. I, w- I need to be questioned. I need to learn by question and answer. I'm choosing, I'm espousing question and answer as the path to justice. Not me saying what justice is and dominating others and making everybody line up with this system of justice, which applies to everything, which is, excuse me for saying so, the dominant mode in our culture. Some people got the justice, the law, and that's where it's centered, and it, it applies to everything, and it's not clear how much they appreciate conversation, but fortunately, fortunately, there is a conversation even with the people who say there's no conversation allowed here, still there's a conversation, and we can wake up to it. But without, you know, without awakening to the conversation, then my view of justice could oppress you. It could turn into tyranny. Because I think it'd be so terrible if everybody's idea of justice was just like rampant, running all over the place. We got to get this thing under control. My, my biased opinion is no one's going to understand this conversation. I, yeah. And then when we come into race and gender and sexuality and the oppressive, uh, of who has the power of it? Well, now we're having this conversation, and it's a difficult conversation, a beautiful conversation. I, I, I don't know that this conversation is going to be allowed to happen. In fact, it usually is not allowed to happen when oppressed peoples are meeting oppressors. Now, as a bodhisattva, we're asking how we can help create that conversation outside of this conversation. Yeah, so I... I thought that was very nice and very clear, and I hope everybody else thought so. Because <laughs> maybe that would make it easier to listen to him. So you're worried. You kindly are worrying. Um, I, I feel called into question, or I, I feel called into question about whether people can understand what I'm saying, particularly if they're very agitated and upset. I 
Yeah, you're not so agitated and upset right now. No, but you're worried that people who are feeling oppressed and, and feeling upset and confused and angry, that they could listen to this teaching. And, and, well, the, those, those who are doing pressing are also angry and upset. The oppressors are angry and upset, for sure. <laughs> and the people who are feeling oppressed, I think it's fine to feel angry about that. But can either of those people in, in that conversation listen to the teaching that, you're, that they're in a conversation? And you may say, I don't know if they could understand. I don't know if they can see that they're in a conversation with the oppressors. I'm saying they are. And I would like them to wake up to that by have me having a conversation with them. And part of what might encourage them is that, is that the theory of this conversation is that I should really welcome their views, the, the diversity of their individual views. And if I can work at that, they might actually see, he, they might actually see he actually seems to be welcoming my view, which is different from his and those other people. And, not a, and then he also, other people who are different from me, he also welcomes. It's that kind of a conversation. And they, they might actually say, that's the kind I want. That's the kind I need. He's saying to me that I'm a center of the universe. He's saying to me that I'm a center of justice. And he's also saying, I need to, but he also, the oppressor is a center of the justice. He's saying to me that I need to be respected, and he does. And he's also saying the oppressor needs to be respected, and he does. He respects the oppressor, even though he can see the oppressor is saying, I don't want to have a conversation with the oppressees. I don't want to talk to them. I just want to dictate my correct view to them and have that get things under control. And then we'll have peace and harmony if everybody would line up with this program. I'm saying, okay, I want to have a conversation with you who do not want to have a conversation. And the people who feel oppressed by this system of justice, which is, they see as a system of oppression, not justice, I want to have a conversation with them because I think reality is that we're already in conversation. And if we practice, if we enact the conversation, that is, referring back to yesterday, enacting conversation is enacting selflessness. And it's letting diverse views, diverse centers of the universe, have a voice, which they already do, but have a voice and realize it, and realize that they're listened to. So I want to listen to the diverse voices, and that's a, my, that's a big job. And I want to realize that I'm speaking to them, which is a big job. And I want to help them realize that they are in conversation with the oppressors. We are already in a conversation with the oppressors. And the way we are might appear in our consciousness. You might say, oh my God, I think I just had a conversation, it looks like I had a conversation with an oppressor. In other words, you see it, but that's not it. 
And if, if that vision of how you're having a conversation with the oppressor passes away, you're still having a conversation. And now you have another chance to try to do it. And when you try to do it, the way you're trying to do it is not just the way you think you're trying to do it. You're trying to do it with your whole being. All of you wants to talk to the oppressor. That's what you really are. You're somebody who wants to talk to everybody. You want to talk to oppressors. You want to talk to tyrants. You want to talk to oppressees. You do not want to talk to only the oppressees. You do not want to talk to only the downtrodden. You want to talk to the trotters. You want to, that's who you are. You are something that is talking to everybody and wants to talk to everybody. And you are somebody who everybody wants to talk to. And that's hard to understand. That's why I came all the way. Because if I don't come here and say this to you, I'm not giving you a great opportunity to hear a teaching which is really hard to understand and really great. Which is that we're doing this together. We're make, it's not somebody else who's making this universe. We're doing it with them. And, but we need to do a conversation. We need to try to have a conversation in order to realize that we are having a conversation. Because without conversation, we don't have reality. We have delusion and suffering without conversation. But reality is we are having conversation. So let's get in touch with that we want to. And when we feel somebody that we don't want to have a conversation with, or we think, I want to, but they're too scary, you know, it's not right. It's not time because they're so upset. They're just too upset for me to have a conversation. Okay? I understand you see it that way. And that's the way the conversation is right now, is you think you cannot talk to this person. Or you don't want to. And that's what we were just chanting there. By revealing and disclosing your lack of faith and practice before the Buddhas, you melt away the root of transgression. Transgression? Transgressing from what? from conversation. I do not have faith in conversation with this person. Or I, I think it would be good if I could, but they're too upset or they're too scary. I don't have faith. I confess I don't have faith. By revealing and disclosing that you don't have faith in conversation with this person before the Buddhas, you melt away the root of your Lack of faith in having conversation with this person. That's what that chant says. And it kind of implies that maybe we do sometimes think, this person is too much to have a conversation with. I don't believe I can. Or I don't even want to, because they're so much not me. But that's who we talk to. We talk to not me. If you talk to not me, you realize that not me is me if you really have a wholehearted conversation. The oppressor is me. The oppressed is me. The oppressor and the oppressed make me equally. 
if I have a conversation with them, I can realize that. And I hear that, but today I'm not up for it. Okay, I read Buddhas and ancestors. I'm sorry, I'm not up for conversation today, but maybe tomorrow. Or please help me open up to, I don't want to talk to that person. Let me be, a, let me be somebody who doesn't want to talk to them. You can be somebody who doesn't want to talk to them. We can, and I'm having a conversation with you who doesn't want to talk to them. You know, I'm, I'm willing to talk to you who doesn't want to talk to them. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, maybe I do want to talk to them then. If you're willing to talk to me, the one who doesn't want to talk to them, maybe I'll talk to them. Yes, you had your hand raised a while ago. You still want to say something? What you said helped me as I was thinking about asking a question, and then I raised my hand which was, so I know that Even though you felt they were welcoming, you still felt a lot of emotion when you thought of speaking to this welcoming group. Yes. Yeah, even, even then. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you're talking to me and everybody else in the room. And you and you and you didn't know how to do what you just did, and you still don't. But you do. I mean, you do do what you do, but you don't know how. You do not know how you talk. And when I say you do not know, I mean your consciousness does not know how to speak English. But you're not just your consciousness. You're also your body. And you're a vast cognitive process that doesn't know how to speak English. In consciousness, you can watch and see that you do speak English, but you don't consciously know how to move your mouth to make English words. Try it sometime. (laughs) I don't know how I do this, consciously. So, yeah, if you knew how to have a conversation, you wouldn't need to have one. But you don't know how, so you need to have one. And when you have one, the way you know how to have a conversation is the conversation. That's how you know. It's not how you think you know how to have a conversation. It's how you, it's, it is the conversation. And you're having one right now with me and with everybody in the room. But I don't know how you're, you're having this conversation. I'm just saying you are. Where did that come from? I don't know. Everything I contribute to the conversation, I, I may have an idea where it's coming from, but that's not how where it's coming from. It's coming from all of you. It's coming from the history of the English language, etc. It's coming from all, everything in the universe.
I cannot know that consciously. But I can consciously enjoy it, or I can constantly miss out. And then when I miss out, I can say, I confess I missed out on the conversation, and I want to go back to conversation, even though I don't know how. And I want to say one more thing about what you said. When you know you're in a room of welcoming people, you might feel a lot of emotion, because that's pretty... That's like overwhelming. It's just... it, it. all these people welcoming you, that's like, that's a big emotional thing to be welcomed by many people. That's like a big body that you have that's like being welcomed. And, you know, and a lot of feeling and thoughts come up with that. And then you think of talking when you're like almost overwhelmed with the emotion of being welcomed. <laughs> well, how can I talk when I'm feeling so welcomed? So I can say that to you. How can I talk to you when I'm feeling so welcomed? I don't know, but I am. And so are you. Because we're welcomed by everything in the universe, we can have this conversation. But the conversation is not going to necessarily occur in a very, I don't know what, it's not going to occur in a dead space conversation, the place where you're being welcomed by everybody is very lively and very dynamic. And you could interpret that dynamic liveliness as agitation and excitement almost overwhelmingly. So we need to learn, part of this way to take care of consciousness, is we need to learn the skill of being upright in the midst of a, you name it, a torrent, a hurricane of emotions, because that's sometimes the way consciousness is. How can we be upright and say, okay, this is what welcome is like right now. This tidal wave is like coming to visit me, and I'm welcoming it. And I think what I'm going to do now to express my welcomeness is I'm going to run the other way. (laughs) And that's the way I'm going to meet it. Because I think I'll be killed if I stay right here right now. But this is still my way of conversation. I need a break. This is my this is you know this is a conversation. This is not to end my relationship. This is just telling you I need a break. Cuz you're so welcoming. One time I was watching my grandson have breakfast when he was about 6 6 yeah. Maybe maybe around 6 to 8. I was watching him have breakfast. And you might not be surprised to hear that I was welcoming him. I was adoring him. Oh, my boy eating your breakfast. <laughs> I was welcoming him. I was having a conversation with him. Now he, and he knew I was. He knew I wasn't just sitting there thinking to myself, about you know what you know having a conversation with somebody else, he knew I was having a conversation with him. You're my boy, and he said, and he and he started wrinkled his face. You know, 
And he said, would you stop staring at me? <laughs> and I said, okay. This is our conversation. He's eating breakfast, and he's giving me his face, his sweet little boy face. And I'm saying, oh, thank you. That's a great little person you are. You're better than breakfast. <laughs> and then he feels this, and it's too much. It's, you know, I got to give me a break, granddaddy. And, and that's it. That, that's that. You see the conversation? And I say, okay. And then I look at the ceiling. <laughs> I don't storm out of the room. I respond to his request. That's our conversation. I give him something. I make a request. You know, be in my life. You're welcome to be in my life. I'm so happy to have you here. I don't find your cuteness oppressive, but if I did, I still would want to welcome it. But you feel oppressed by me, and I accept that, and so I'll try to like, without abandoning you, I'll try to be less oppressive. I'll look at the ceiling. And that was a considerable relief to him, to see that he could ask for some space, and I would give it. And then after he felt like, you know, I was safely directing some of my adoration to the ceiling, <laughs> Then he started to talk to me again, you know, and I could not, now I was allowed to look back at him. But this face-to-face -face transmission is, it's like, it's the most intense thing. It, it's equally intense as our whole life, which means equally as intense as the way everybody in the universe is supporting. That's extremely, that's totally intense. We are an intensive care unit. Everything in the universe is caring for us, and we, from here, care for everything in the universe. That's the f full intensity of our life. And everybody's that way, and we're trying to wake up to that. But it's hard when you start to, whoa! It's hard to figure out a way to deal with all this love that's going to and from you in conversation. So part of it is like to accept that it's overwhelming and say, would you please stop staring at me? And, and, and it would be nice if the person would say, okay, I'll stop staring at you. I mean, I'll look away. That's a basic thing in human development is when the person who's most important is looking at us and it's so exciting and so on the verge of overwhelming that we can look away or get them to look away and then calm down a little bit. And then, okay, now you can look at me again. We need to, that's part of the conversation. This is enough. So I, I often say, which I haven't said, but I'll say it again now, if I get to be too much, just go like this and I'll, sh I'll shut up. If my attention to you is too intense, ask me to look away, or you, you can look away and calm down. And when you're calm, then you may say, okay, now lay it on again. I'm open for it. But 
And I often also tell the story of, you know, I went to Zen Center to study with Suzuki Roshi. And I didn't know what I was getting into when I went. I just thought I was going to some place where somebody could help me with this meditation practice. But as I got to know him, I realized, you know, that the meditation practice he was helping me with was bigger than I thought it was. And therefore, he was offering more than I thought I was going to get. Even though I still wanted it, sometimes when he was giving to me, I kind of said, you know, see you later. <laughs> this is, you know, or, you know, I don't want to take any more of your time, Roshi. I wanted to get out of the place <laughs> where he was giving me all this teaching about Zazen, which was just like, he was showing me the overwhelmingness of our life, the overwhelmingness of our practice by showing me a little bit more of it than I had thought. And, and I was very grateful and also wanted to get out of, the, out of there. And if I really wanted to get out, he would let me go. But he, he, at times I thought, he said, it's okay, you're not, you can stay. <laughs> so it's, of course my grandson wants me to love him, but not too much right now. And as, he, as now he's a big boy, He's starting to be able to like accept it and say, "Yeah, God, he and he and his wife really do love me. It's amazing." But he still doesn't know. He still can't yet quite open to all of it. And his mother also kind of knew, but couldn't quite open to it. And then she became a mother. And then she realized how much we love her, and she was overwhelmed by the realization of how much we loved her when she saw that baby, this grandson. She said, now I see. And that's how I felt when I saw her born. My father and mother used to say to me, I love you, Rebbe. And I was like, yeah, I know. Of course you do. You you act like you do. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) And then you you see your own child. You say, oh, now I see what they're talking about. And someday we will see, oh, now I see what the Buddhas are talking about. I heard this teaching. Now I get it. Now I see what they were saying when they said that I'm in conversation with reality all day long. And now I see it. Wow, so great. Let's keep it. Let's keep it going. Let's keep this practice going by practicing it. So let's sit, and when we're sitting, open to that. We're in conversation with the whole universe when we're sitting. That's the kind of sitting that the Buddhas do. They're sitting still and quiet, and they're communicating with the whole universe, and the whole universe is calling to them and saying, please keep communicating with us. And the Buddha says, I totally hear you, and I'm with you, and I'm looking at you, and you're me. You're, you're identical with me, and, I'm, and I'm, you're calling me to say that to you, and I am saying it, and someday you'll realize fully what this conversation is, which is justice. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. 
Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.